phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Hello, welcome back, everybody. It's Floyd, your host with Federation Radio. We're back again. So I have literally just finished watching the episode right now. I know it's Wednesday afternoon and this is supposed to get uploaded in the morning, but whatever, things happen. I got distracted this morning and here we are. Season 1, Episode 5, The Naked Time, which, uh, I'll be honest, this is an episode that, again, I forgot happened so early. I'm actually getting really worried about what's going to be in Season 2 and 3 because almost all my memories of this show seem to be of Season 1. And I know Season 3 gets a pretty bad rep for its lower budget, so that's going to be interesting going forward. But this is, again, another pretty iconic episode where they are going to observe a planet that I I wrote the name of. It's called Psy 2000, as in PSI. I, I don't know if that's supposed to mean anything or be important, because honestly, I don't think they ever say the planet's name ever again. But in this episode, we're here because we're told the planet is going to disintegrate, basically. This planet's at the end of its life. The sun in the region has already been destroyed. It burnt out long ago. There's a science team on the frozen surface that are there to observe. The ship is ordered to come here, pick up the science team, get the data, and then basically just observe the planet while they fly pretty close to it as it explodes. Well, not explodes, but falls apart, disintegrates, as they say. So, you know, they come in to do that, except they find that everyone in the observer post is dead. And not just dead in a more obvious or standard way, but they're dead in a strange way, like... A woman is strangled, which, by the way, that woman is so... They didn't even try to hide the fact that that's just a first aid doll. I'm pretty sure that they've thrown on the floor and put a Starfleet uniform on. But whatever. A woman is strangled. One is frozen. An engineer at his workstation who just, as they say, it seems like he was completely unaware or just didn't care. He was standing there. He was sitting there, frozen to death. Didn't try and warm himself up. Didn't do anything. And another one, dead in the shower. Fully clothed. Which, again, makes no sense. They determine something was wrong, their behavior was erratic, almost as if they were intoxicated, but all the science crew is dead. Now during this, for whatever reason, uh, O'Reilly, one of the crewmen, he's sometimes the helmsman on board the bridge, decides to take his glove off when Mr. Spock isn't looking, and a bit of the blood from one of the bodies actually touches his hand. And when that happens... He starts getting itchy, almost immediately he starts like rubbing at his hand and Spock literally comes in the room the next moment and says, you know, make sure that nothing comes in contact with us. And then they decide to beam back up to the ship to report what's happened. They get beamed back up, we see the very first um, quarantine, so like they pop up. Scotty is back once again, that's nice, he's back in the transporter room at the start, brings them on board. Immediately, they don't talk about a force field, so I don't think having a force field on the transporter bay was a thing yet. But having the lights change and an ability to basically disinfect whoever comes back, at this point in time, is apparently something they do after you transport. Whereas later on, the biofilters, they call it, try and filter out any bio-infections or toxins from you as you're transporting. Apparently in the original series, it was more basic. It was more you come aboard and then you, um, what do you call it? Uh, you get rid of whatever's on you. They put you through the disinfection light. Of course, it doesn't work. We don't realize that at the time because there's no obvious infections or anything in their blood or anything the scanners can read to show what happened to the scientists. They're just guessing, seem like erratic behavior. So, 
then we get Joey. Oh, sorry. I said O'Reilly before. O'Reilly is a character in this episode. He is normally at the helm, but he's not the one that was on the surface. The guy that was on the surface was named Joey. So in the next scene, we've got... Um, well, Spock goes to the bridge to report, and we follow Joey into the... What do you call it? The, the eating quarters in the that room. He's eating, and Sulu and O'Reilly... This is why I was getting confused, because O'Reilly's here come in, and they're arguing about something. I didn't even take note of what they're arguing about. It was nothing important. And all of a sudden, Joey starts ranting. He starts going mad about how humans shouldn't be out here. We just pollute. We destroy everything we touch. We shouldn't be here. If man was meant to fly, he'd have wings. And, you know, going just off the rails with this rant. We don't really know what's going on in his head, but it's obvious something's very wrong. Uh, O'Reilly and Sulu basically have to restrain him because during his rant he picks up a knife at first they think he's going to attack them but then he sort of turns it in his hand towards himself and it becomes obvious like he's he's hating humanity right now he's very self-doubting and hating and he's about to hurt himself so Sulu and O'Reilly jump on top of him they manage to wrestle the knife out they manage to like hold him down and they take him off the medical and very quickly we find that um O'Reilly starts itching. They both go up to the bridge, and, um, yeah, it becomes clear. O'Reilly's having problems, and a little while later, we start to see Sulu sweating profusely as well, so they're both obviously infected with whatever it is. Not that, again, at this point, it can actually be registered by the tricorders or anything else that McCoy or anyone's doing, because it seems like they're fine. But uh, McCoy goes over Joey because obviously something's wrong. Joey was on the surface where everyone has died from erratic behavior and he's now suddenly ranting and trying to hurt himself. So he's back in medical. McCoy goes through... I don't even really know what's going on. It seems that he hurts himself. I think he falls on the knife when he's like wrestling with Sulu and that, but he managed to get him there quickly. But McCoy does everything right. He seals up the wounds, he's with his nurse, he's doing everything by the book. He's a very competent doctor. But for whatever reason, Joey's vitals just keep dropping. No matter what McCoy seems to do, it keeps dropping, and he actually dies. And McCoy like looks at Nurse Chapel and says, I don't understand. His wounds weren't that bad. This This shouldn't have happened. And he immediately begins, you know, being a doctor. He starts running tests and running scans and going over all his data because what the hell is happening? Someone just died in my care and I can't even find why. So then (laughs) we go to the bridge and we get an amusing moment of Sulu who says to O'Reilly, come on, let's go to the gym. And yeah, he... He, O'Reilly at first is like, what's wrong with you? We're not, we're not going to the gym. You can't leave the bridge because Captain Kirk at this point has heard that Joey has died and has gone to medical to go see McCoy and to see what's going on. So there's less people on the bridge right now. Spock is in charge, but Spock's busy looking through his like little eyepiece thing on, the, on his science desk doing whatever he's doing, scanning the planet, you know, doing Spock things. Sulu looks at him and we see this real sneaky smile as he's like, I'm going. And he sneaks off, gets in the lift, and goes away. <laughs> and O'Reilly kind of looks around and starts... We notice, like, there's just dripping sweat all over both of their foreheads at this point. So, Sulu sneaks off, and then a few moments later, or at least that's how the scene plays as if time's gone by, We Spock turns to O'Reilly because something starts going wrong with the ship, and 
O'Reilly basically just laughs it off and he's like, oh, what's wrong with you, Mr. Spock? You need to relax. And Spock realizes at this point, something's wrong. This crewman's acting erratic. Sulu's ran from his post, which is completely against everything Sulu stands for. He's normally a very good officer. So Sulu sneaking off is like, that's a sign of erratic behavior in itself. Spock begins to get worried. Well, he begins to get concerned, I should say. He's still a Vulcan. But he actually, you know, he tells he tells call security, tries to organize for O'Reilly and Sulu to be basically captured and sent to medical. But as he's calling them, he gets a call from security. And we then get this other scene of another disturbance, which is Sulu, <laughs> the famous... It's a famous scene of Sulu... Shirtless, sweating with a rapier, I think it is, or like a French sword, a proper fencing sword. And he's in the. He's basically yelling at other crewmen at this point and chasing them with his sword. So security goes to try and shut that down. And everything is just going to shit. O'Reilly disappears, goes to engineering, <laughs> and. We only find this out because the bridge tries to contact engineering to be like, you know the planet is acting erratic its magnetic field is changing we're being sucked in we don't currently have a proper bridge crew we need more power to the engines no response engineering just seems to have gone quiet but then after a little while we get a response we get a response from o'reilly who has now gone to engineering and is singing and talking about how this is captain o'reilly of the starship enterprise and how everyone is going to get free ice cream and then begins singing into the pa system driving everyone mental and he's locked himself in now at this point kirk's getting a little worried he goes down to engineering to be like what the hell's going on we need to get him out of here spock you watch the bridge he gets down there and we find scotty is struggling to get into engineering and he says o'reilly came in he said to us that you needed us on the bridge so we quickly left engineering and then he sealed the door behind us and we haven't been able to get back in and scotty's like sent his assistant up to his office to get the plans for the bulkhead. He's like, I'm going to cut my way back in. Don't you worry, Captain, but I'm going to need some time. And Kirk basically just says to him, like, look, tell me when you're going to get in. I want to be here, but until then, I need to go and try and work out what the hell's going on. So we get to a scene where Spock at this point has gone down to the med bay to see what's happening because he can't seem to get in contact with McCoy due to all the engineering problems and the fact the PA system's running full ball with O'Reilly singing. Now, McCoy is struggling. We see Sulu has now, at this point, security has strapped him to a bench, and, you know, McCoy is running tests, and he's trying to work out what's going on. And Nurse Chapel, who, by the way, is played by Major Barrett. I don't know if she's actually been in the show up till this point yet. She was number one in the pilot. She is now Nurse Chapel. This is one of the many roles that she will play throughout Star Trek, but this is one of her main ones in the original series. I don't actually... I, I can't remember. When I was watching, I was trying to think, and I don't remember whether she's in the earlier episodes or not, but, you know, she's in this one. This is the first time I took notice of it. Nurse Chapel, she's back. I also say, just as a little side note, a bit of a funny thing. On her Starfleet badge, which at this point is more of just a material thing that they sew into the uniform, but... On her badge, she has a red cross. Which is kind of funny, because anybody that played video games back in the day and stuff knows red crosses used to be a pretty normal thing in TV, and they used to be a pretty normal thing on shows like this and in old games, but 
The Red Cross basically had a problem with this, and back in the 80s, I think, the late mid-80s or something, there was a couple court cases, and it was determined that, no, you can't use the Red Cross, because that is a specific symbol that goes with a specific organization, and that's why these days you tend to have white crosses on green bags for games. You tend to have other, they'll just call it medical, or they'll use the Hippocratic symbol, or whatever that, like, serpent on a spear thing is, because that's not copyrighted, you can use that. They'll use other symbols. But I thought it was interesting. Like, this is obviously very early days, and there was a red cross, which I thought was cool. Obviously before all of that. Anyway. So we're continuing to have problems. And, yeah, Scotty is still getting in. Spock, at this point, because Nurse Chapel has been infected, McCoy leaves to go to the lab to try and work out. Because he thinks he has a cure. He's been working on something, and he calls up the lab to be like, how are you going with that test? I need the results. I need to know if it's working. Nobody responds to him, because at this point, it's spreading through the ship. And it's causing severe problems everywhere, and he's not getting a response. So he tells Nurse Chapel, I'll be right back, I'm going. Spock comes down a few moments later looking for the doctor to get answers about what the hell is going on. Obviously, he's not there. But Nurse Chapel grabs his hand, grabs Spock's hand, and says to him that... She loves him and tells him about how she knows what it's like and how Vulcan men aren't the same as Earthmen, but you're part human. You're part human. You, you, you're different. I, I know it could be different. You would never hurt me. There's this whole, like, over-the-top. She's in love with him. And that's a weird plot point that sort of continues through the show, where there's this sort of, most of the time unspoken, but sort of known fact that Nurse Chapel is in love with Spock. It comes up multiple times, and it's a it's a weird side story. I don't know how I feel about it, but I kind of like it. It's a good challenge to Spock's, you know, straight-faced character to have someone chasing him like that. But anyway, she grabs his hand, and as we learn pretty soon, McCoy has determined that the reason they couldn't work it out, what was happening, or detect anything, was because it's in the sweat. Something about the sweat, something on that planet, turns water into something else. And it then spreads through sweat, which is why everyone that's been getting infected has been sweating profusely on their face and hands. And then, of course, what are they doing? They're going around the ship touching people, touching each other, slapping each other on the back, shaking hands, touching controls. If it's spreading by fluid, like, this is bad. The whole ship is basically infected at this point. You know, and on top of all of this, we have another problem. The ship is currently going around a planet that, remember, is disintegrating. Its magnetic fields and its mass are changing almost every moment. The ship is being sucked in constantly, and we currently don't have control of engines or any real crewmen that seem to know what they're doing on the bridge for more than a few moments. So, things are getting pretty desperate. Now, Spock sort of shakes off what happened in Medbay, and later on we find him in his room. At least we presume it's his room. I don't know if it's an office or a meeting room or what, but I presume that it was meant to be his quarters because being a Vulcan, I imagine they're pretty Spartan the way that they are. And um, he starts having problems. He gets really emotional. We start seeing he has lost control of his emotions because obviously he is infected from touching Nurse Chapel's hand. And he starts crying. Well, sort of crying, but being a bit upset. And then Kirk comes in, who at this point is just... He's losing it. He's angry. He's frustrated. He's lost full control of his emotions. Because both he's infected, but also this is an extremely, you know, infuriating situation for a man who's used to being in control. And they have an interesting conversation, which I sort of wanted to bring up, because... 
This brings up something we talked about in, I believe, the last episode, where Spock said, I once had a human ancestor, and Kirk made a joke about him having bad blood. And it's interesting, because in this episode, this is the first mention of Spock having a human mother. Because while he's upset, he says to Kirk, My mother is a human. She was forced to live somewhere where all the people are miserable and can't show her how they feel. I could never tell my mother how much I loved her. And then he says to Kirk, I feel ashamed that I have a friendship with you. That's what being a Vulcan is. It's terrible. And he's all upset. And Kirk, Kirk does the most Kirk thing in the world and just starts slapping the shit out of Spock. He starts hitting him. He's like, snap out of it. Because at this point he's learnt that Scotty actually has gotten into engineering now. Scotty's gotten in, but he's found another problem. Not only can he not give you engine power, to give you engine power now, because O'Reilly has turned the engines off, is going to require warming up the matter-antimatter reaction chamber, which is going to take, as Scotty says, about 30 minutes. And they determine they have about 8 minutes left until the planet sucks them into the planet and they get destroyed. And no matter how much Kirk tries to argue with him, he says, and by the way, the first ever saying of this line, I believe, in the whole show from Scotty is, I cannot change the laws of physics, Captain. Which, you know, as anyone who has watched the original series or knows the references and the memes, that is a Scotty line. That's anyone who doesn't know anything about Star Trek knows the lines, beam me up, Scotty, and I cannot change the laws of physics, Captain. And illogical from Spock. They're like the three things that anybody who is not a Star Trek fan, probably just from pop culture, knows because they're so famous. And I thought it was cool that this was, you know, the very first mention of that. Now, what they determine is that they're going to do a cold restart of the engine. And to do that, it has never been done before. As Scotty says, I don't even know if it's possible. It has been theorized. No one has tried it. It could work, or it could blow our ship into a million pieces. I really can't guarantee anything more. So Kirk, you know, that's why he's come to find Spock at this point, because you need Spock. Spock is the science officer. If you've got a theoretical scientific idea... You need more than just the engineer, you need your science officer. He needs to be involved in this because he needs to do the maths for something that's never been done before if you're going to have any hope of surviving it. You know, so Kirk starts slapping him around and hitting him and just being like, you need to get control of yourself. We need your help. We need the intermix. And sort of in between the emotional outburst of Spock, he starts to say, like, it's never been done, Captain. And then he goes on to talk more about his mother, and then he gets slapped again, and then he throws Kirk across the room in a response, which is a sure sign that both Kirk and Spock are very out of control right now, because Kirk's normally a pretty well-behaved man, and Spock is, you know, picture-perfect Vulcan, for the most part. He would never lose control like that. To hit his captain is, he would resign his commission before he hit his captain. So, they're both just lost it. But... There's still enough of them there. And at this point, they determine, you know, after having their mini-fight, that Kirk is going to make his way to the bridge, Spock is going to make his way to engineering, and they're going to do their best to get through this. McCoy, at this point, has actually returned to sickbay and found a cure. He stabs Sulu... stabs. He injects with a needle some kind of whatever this mix is. At first... It doesn't seem to do much. At first, McCoy is laughing, and then he's screaming. He seems to be in a bit of pain, or just all over the place. And then it's like calm hits him. It's very sudden. Sulu's just 
what am I doing here? I was on the bridge. And McCoy just, like, clicks his fingers. He's like, I've got it. Starts immediately making up more of this stuff and makes his way to the bridge because, you know, things are falling apart. He needs to get the people in command back in command of themselves so that they can maybe live through this. So McCoy, once again, brilliant doctor, does his job, doesn't really complain. The lab doesn't respond to him. He goes to the lab and he does it himself. That's just the sort of doctor he is. He always knows things. He doesn't... He knows how to work out what he needs. Like, he's a brilliant doctor. I really like McCoy. It was good to see him showing off his doctor skill in this episode. Now, also... Well, no, we'll, we'll get back to that. So, after that, McCoy makes his way to the bridge. He basically tears the shirt off the side of Kirk, which I thought was weird. He, like, grabs him by the collar and tears it right down his shoulder, which I think was just an excuse to get Kirk partially shirtless on, on the bridge for the scene. But whatever. Sticks in with the injection. Kirk immediately starts to feel better. And there's a sad moment where he sort of holds a hand out towards... Oh, what's her name? Yeoman. I can't remember her name, but the Yeoman. The pretty Yeoman that's always around. Because he said to Spock in his moment of weakness when he was out of it... That he sees her there. And that as a captain, he's not allowed, allowed to fraternise with the crew. And then he understands why they always call ships she... Because she is the only love a captain can have, because he's not allowed to love those around him. And it's kind of a moment where he's being cured and the infection leaving his body. He kind of holds a hand out towards her. She doesn't notice it, but it's this sad, like, it's a lonely man. He is a lonely man reaching a hand out because he's thinking about a life that he is not allowed to have. And I kind of felt for him in that moment. Like, that, that was sad. But then he puts his hand down because obviously he's cured. And he's like, no, I'm the captain. I'm too responsible for them to ever take advantage like that. But basically, Kirk is saying he's not permitted to have a love life. Which is really sad. Like, that sucks. And that's something we see a lot of with captains in the, throughout Star Trek. Is they struggle with their personal lives and separating it from their career. Particularly, uh... Picard in the next show probably struggles with it, I would say, more than nearly any other captain, but they all struggle with it in their own way. That's a continual plot point that they like to touch on. Now, they end up doing the ship implode, or the engine implosion. It works. The planet disintegrates, I think. At least I think that's what happens, but like, they do the implosion, that is what happens, and then it causes this weird effect where, basically, they travel back in time. Which I thought was cool. This was them opening the door to possible time travel stories by saying, we now know how to do this. It was theoretical before, but we now know when we implode the engines at a cold start, we can cause the time on the ship to go back three days, which could theoretically be used for study. You know, and they sort of say, well, we'll see. It's theoretical. We'll report back to Starfleet, you know, blah, 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 blah. They're like, let's try not to abuse this power for now. But yeah, basically, the ship's chronometer shows, and Sulu watches it happen. It's ticking backwards as the engines start, and then it stops about three days earlier. And yeah, that's basically the end of the episode. The planet is now disintegrated. They moved at a really fast speed. They've gone back in time. But everyone's been cured. Everyone's okay. At the end of the day, the only person who didn't make it was poor Joey. Joey died. Nobody seemed to really mourn for Joey. Bit of a shame. We didn't know Joey very well. But yeah, that's that's this episode, The Naked Time, which 
actually not a bad title for the episode now to think about it. Now, I wanted to go over a couple little points about this episode, some fun things, like when O'Reilly, no, it was Sulu, when he goes on the bridge, I think it is with a sword, I don't know, it was him or O'Reilly, one of them was on the bridge, and they basically grabbed Uhura, I think it was O'Reilly, grabbed Uhura, and he says, ah, where'd he say, I've got it here, fair, ah, I will take the fair maiden. And Uhura has one of the best responses where she's just like immediately breaks away from his hand and says, I'm afraid I'm neither. <laughs> it's just, and that made me laugh. Because of course, she's not fair. Because I'm pretty sure fair, now I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure fair means like light, clean skins. Like usually it's a compliment they would give for like old French ladies or English ladies. Like it's something you give white women basically. Like, fair is not usually a term I would use for a darker-skinned woman, because maybe I'm wrong about definitions, but I've always assumed that it was like, oh, she's beautiful, fair-skinned. Whereas she's darker-skinned. You know, she is beautiful, and I will point out again in this episode, she looked amazing. And it always makes me feel weird saying that, because I know in the modern day, and even by the time I was born, she was basically an old lady. But at this point in her career, she looked good. She really did. And, you know... Sorry, neither. It's such a good response because it's, yeah, she is a Starfleet officer. She can fight just as good as all the others. She is a trained scientist. She knows what she's doing. She's dark-skinned and she is not a maiden. <laughs> so she's just like, sorry, neither. Great moment. Yeah, again, Nurse Chapel. I already mentioned the Red Cross thing, but it was still nice to see a bit more of Michelle Barrett on the show. I could be wrong again, but I think that's her first appearance since the pilot. Back when she was the number one, which of course is a role that got ditched by the show, unfortunately. But yeah, <laughs> we also got the first mention from McCoy. When Spock first came back on the onto the ship from the initial going down to the planet and they had their medical checkup. Uh, it's the very first green blood joke that we get from McCoy, where he says, Your blood pressure is, well, about normal for a Vulcan, I guess, if you can call your green blood normal. To which Spock responds with something along the lines of, My anatomy is different, and that is one thing I am eternally grateful. Grateful for. <laughs> which is just, you know, a great... That's their whole relationship. They 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 poke each other all the time. Doors, you green-blooded Vulcan. <laughs> this is a great Gray McCoy moment. Again, Scotty's back. He got to play a pretty significant role. He wasn't the main character, but you know, he's back. This is the first episode where it was clear Scotty is one of the command crew. He runs engineering. He is trusted by the captain immensely. Like, Scotty is basically the captain's number one because most of the time when he leaves the ship, he takes Spock with him. So when him and Spock aren't on the ship, you'll see this going forward almost all the time. Scotty, you've got the ship. Like, Scotty is the next trusted. Although, McCoy might be the next in rank, I'm not really sure, but, you know, medical officers, you can take over in times of crisis, but for the most part, it's better if they don't. It's better to have them ready to deal with medical problems. Whereas Scotty, chief engineer, makes perfect sense. Captain and the other command crew are busy, the chief engineer shouldn't be leaving the ship, for the most part. They're responsible for the ship's engines, the ship's maintenance, the ship's running. What's a little bit of command to someone already in the position like that? And, uh, yeah, the only other thing I have to really say about this episode is, um, when O'Reilly takes over engineering, I found it interesting that apparently there was only two people in engineering. Like, he went in and told Scotty and Scotty's assistant, they need you on the bridge. 
and that was enough to apparently empty engineering, like there's no one else in there. How can a ship with nearly... How many? I have written it down somewhere. It's like three, four hundred crewmen roundabout. It's, uh... In the first episode they said two hundred, but I believe later on they say three hundred. But whatever, it doesn't matter. Three to four hundred crew members. And apparently you only have two engineers in engineering at any time? Like, that That feels to me like they're either being way overworked or these ships were far more automated than they are in later generations, which I don't think is the case. I think this is another one of those... Low budget, didn't have enough money to put more people in an engineering uniform. Also, the engineering set is quite small and they don't want to squeeze too many people in or it looks stupid. But realistically, there should be more than the chief engineer and a single assistant running a ship of this size. Or at least I would hope. But yeah, that is the episode A Naked Time. And I will see you all next week for the next episode where we continue our journey through the original series. Now... I'll thank you all for coming by, and I will say I'm thinking about doing a special at some point soon where I'll do a full week of episodes where I'll do one a day. Let me know, you know, feel free to email me or contact the show in some way and let me know how you feel about that because it's something I'm thinking about doing just to sort of get into it a bit more. Bye for now.